This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a disorder of worsening neurologic dysfunction characterized by progressive muscle weakness and is caused by an absent dystrophin gene. As far as epidemiology, the prevalence of Duchenne muscular dystrophy is 2 to 3 per 10,000 people. It affects young males only, and the age of onset is between 2 to 6 years of age. With respect to the pathophysiology, dystrophin absence leads to poor muscle fiber regeneration, progressive replacement of muscle tissue with fibrous as well as fatty tissue, and skeletal and cardiac muscle lose elasticity and strength. With respect to genetics, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is X-linked recessive, and the XP21.2 dystrophin gene defect is due to a point deletion and a nonsense mutation. One-third of cases result from spontaneous mutations. Orthopedic manifestations of Duchenne muscular dystrophy include calf pseudohypertrophy, scoliosis, equinovarus foot deformity, and joint contractures. Non-orthopedic conditions include cardiomyopathy and static encephalopathy. Becker's muscular dystrophy is similar to Duchenne's in that it is sex-linked recessive, calf pseudohypertrophy is present, and CPK is elevated. It differs from Duchenne's in that dystrophin protein is decreased instead of absent in Becker's muscular dystrophy. There's also later onset with Becker's and a slower progression, as well as a longer life expectancy. An average diagnosis of Becker's occurs at age 8 compared to 2 years of age with Duchenne's. Becker's patients are also more prone to cardiomyopathy. With respect to the prognosis of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, most patients are unable to ambulate independently by age 10. Most are wheelchair-dependent by age 15, and most die of cardiorespiratory problems by age 20. Symptoms of Duchenne muscular dystrophy include progressive weakness affecting the proximal muscles first, and this begins with gluteal muscle weakness. You will also see gait abnormalities such as delayed walking, toe walking, clumsy waddling gait, as well as difficulty climbing stairs, hopping, or jumping. Other symptoms include decreased motor skills. On physical exam, you may see calf pseudohypertrophy that is due to infiltration of normal muscle with connective tissue, Deep tendon reflexes will be present on exam, unlike spinal muscular atrophy. You may notice lumbar lordosis, which compensates for gluteal weakness. Gower sign is a classic finding in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is when a patient rises by walking hands up the legs to compensate for gluteus maximus and quadriceps weakness. You may also notice a Trendelenburg sign on physical exam. As far as evaluation, Labs may show markedly elevated CPK levels, that is 10 to 200 times normal, as CPK leaks across defective cell membranes. Muscle biopsy will show connective tissue infiltration and foci of necrosis. It will also show absent dystrophin with staining. DNA testing will show an absent dystrophin protein. On EMG, you will see myopathic findings, that is decreased amplitude, short duration, and polyphasic motor potentials. Now let's quickly talk about the differential diagnosis for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Becker's, as we mentioned, is similar to Duchenne's in that it also has calf pseudohypertrophy, markedly elevated CPK, and it's also transmitted by an X-linked fashion. Distinguishing traits from Duchenne's includes that Becker's has a slower progression of weakness and the diagnosis is made later at around 8 years old. In addition, Becker's patients are more prone to cardiomyopathy. Spinal muscular atrophy is similar to Duchenne's in that it also has proximal weakness. 
However, distinguishing traits from Duchenne's include that the onset of weakness is earlier in childhood, there are absent deep tendon reflexes, as well as fasciculations, CPK levels in spinal muscular atrophy are normal, and pseudohypertrophy is absent in spinal muscular atrophy. Emery Dreyfus dystrophy has a similar clinical picture as Duchenne's, however, distinguishing traits from Duchenne's include that there is no calf pseudohypertrophy, CPK levels are near normal, and elbow and ankle contractures develop early. Limb girdle dystrophy has progressive motor weakness similar to Duchenne's, however, distinguishing characteristics include that there is no calf pseudohypertrophy, and CPK levels are only mildly elevated. Finally, Guillain-Barre syndrome has an acute onset of weakness that is somewhat similar to Duchenne's. However, distinguishing traits from Duchenne's include that there are absent deep tendon reflexes and CPK levels are normal. As far as treatment for Duchenne's, non-operative management includes corticosteroid therapy, that is with prednisone, 0.75 milligrams per kilogram per day, and the indications are for 5- to 7-year-old children with progressive disease. And the goals of corticosteroid therapy is to maintain ambulatory capacity as long as possible. As far as outcomes, there is a significant positive effect on disease progression. Corticosteroid therapy actually acutely improves strength, slows progressive weakening, prevents scoliosis formation, and prolongs ambulation. In addition, there are also delays to deterioration of pulmonary function. Side effects of corticosteroid therapy include osteonecrosis, weight gain, cushion-goid appearance, GI symptoms, mood lability, headaches, short stature, and or cataracts. Other non-operative modalities include pulmonary care with nightly ventilation, as well as rehabilitation. Techniques for rehabilitation include physical therapy for range of motion exercises, adaptive equipment, power wheelchairs, and KAFO bracing, which is somewhat controversial. As far as operative options, Soft tissue releases to prolong ambulation are indicated for an ambulatory child with Duchenne's. As far as techniques, hip abduction contractures are treated by the release of the iliotibial band, hip flexion contractures are treated by release of the sartorius, rectus femoris, and tensor fasciolata, hamstring releases are also common, and Achilles tendon and posterior tibialis lengthenings are also common. Postoperative care includes early mobilization and ambulation to prevent deconditioning. Scoliosis in the setting of Duchenne muscular dystrophy is considered a neurogenic curve. This occurs in 95% of patients after becoming wheelchair-dependent. The curve progresses rapidly from age 13 to 14 years old. It begins with a mild hyperlordosis and then progresses with general kyphosis and scoliosis with varying degrees of pelvic obliquity. It progresses 1 to 2 degrees per month starting at age 8 to 10 years old. Patients may become bedridden by age 16. Treatment is complicated by restrictive pulmonary disease, which causes a significant decrease in forced vital capacity. Cardiac and pulmonary function studies should be obtained preoperatively as significant declines in function of both organ systems may make spinal fusion too high risk. As far as the treatment for scoliosis, bracing is contraindicated as it may interfere with respiration. Operative intervention may include early posterior spine fusion with instrumentation, posterior spine fusion with instrumentation to the pelvis, or anterior and posterior spinal fusion. Early posterior spine fusion with instrumentation is indicated for curves of 20 to 30 degrees in a non-ambulatory patient. Make sure to treat these patients early before pulmonary function declines. 
you can wait longer until the curve reaches approximately 40 degrees if the patient is responding well to corticosteroids. Other indications for early posterior spine fusion with instrumentation is if the force vital capacity drops below or equal to 35%, as well as rapidly progressive curves. Posterior spine fusion with instrumentation to the pelvis is indicated for curves greater than or equal to 40 degrees, pelvic obliquity of greater than or equal to 10 degrees, and or for lumbar curves where the apex is lower than the level of L1. Complications of posterior spine fusion with instrumentation to the pelvis include malignant hyperthermia, which is common intraoperatively. Make sure to pretreat these patients with dantrolene, and other complications may include intraoperative cardiac events. Anterior and posterior spinal fusion is indicated rarely for stiff curves. Finally, let's quickly discuss equinovarus foot in the setting of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. This is a common foot deformity seen with Duchenne's. As far as the pathoanatomy, there is a muscle imbalance secondary to muscle replacement with fiber fatty tissue, and the diagnosis is usually made upon clinical exam. Non-operative treatment includes stretching, physical therapy, and nighttime AFO use. Operative treatment includes tendo-Achilles lengthening with posterior tibialis tendon transfer, as well as toe flexor tenotomies. That's all for this review about Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.